Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another episode of State of the Nation. This is a weekly episode where we take you through something big that is happening in crypto. I am really excited about this episode. I have so many questions for our guests. Why don't you tee it up for us, David? Yeah, we got DC Investor, who I tweeted out a while ago. Uh, he thought NFTs were cool before you did. Uh, and then he corrected me and said, <laughs> well, there were people who thought NFTs that were, that were cool before I did. But there's, before al I did, there's always someone who, who's earlier than all of us. But DC was <laughs> earlier than me, who is earlier than Ryan here, into the world of NFTs and was buying NFTs because he thought they were cool before the market proved that, that there was going to be global liquidity and global demand for them. So we really, really want to pick his brain as someone who has been in the middle of this storm that has happened before the storm even arrived and in the eye of the storm as it came, what it's like to transcend both the pre-market like market mania side of NFTs and now what it's like to be on the other side of like almost a, like a global acceptance of NFTs as like an <laughs> asset class. Uh, and so uh, DC has this very, very just awesome portfolio that's tagged on his uh, Twitter account in his bio if you guys want to follow along on that. But we're going to just be asking him some questions about transcending pre-post uh, NFT manias and also what it's like to just be an NFT curator. Yeah, it's it's super cool. I, you know, I always thought NFTs in and of themselves were cool, like the primitive, but I had no idea how valuable they'd be, David. That's mm -hmm. where I got tripped up. It's like, uh, how do you separate the value of this thing from that thing, right? And like DC's ability to see these things early has been really key to his NFT game, I think. I think he's got one of the best... Uh, NFT portfolios in crypto. So this is going to be like a guided tour, like his personal museum. We get to see this online as curated a selection. So I'm super excited to dig in and ask a whole bunch of questions. Guys, we have some new things going on in the Bankless Nation as always as well. We had an episode with Kathy Wood, Chris, uh, Chris Berninski, and you've seen another analyst on the ARK Invest team. These guys manage $75 billion in capital. Absolutely crazy to have them on Bankless. And that was a fantastic episode. Just released that yesterday. Coming off of that episode, uh, maybe all-time high down downloads. It's going It'll to be, be close. Yep. We'll see. Might be. Um, also, David, we've got a panel on loot tomorrow. You want to give some insight into what that's going to be about? Yeah, we all know the loot phenomenon has taken the the NFT world by by storm, and so we kind of want it, and it's moved so incredibly fast. So we're bringing on three loot experts who have been deep into the weeds: Jackson Dame, Anish from from Paradigm, and and also Daryl Lau, uh, who will be all be joining us so we can ask questions all about loot and what is going on. Oh, excuse me, not Daryl Lau, Will Palper, Pepper, the guy who uh, minted the Adventure Gold contract. So all these guys are contributors towards the loot ecosystem, and we want to ask them, just like get their insight and perspective as to what that means. That's also another NFT, but like a different type of NFT, right. mm -hmm. like a virtual in, in, world. Inside out NFT, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super interesting story there. And the markets have cooled down, but like not that much. And there's so much more to this loot story that I think requires unpacking. So exciting stuff. Also, guys, uh, permissionless conference tickets. Bankless is co-throwing uh, the world. I think this is going to be the biggest DeFi conference yeah. ever. We're doing this in 2022. Super excited about the panelists. We're, we're working on the guests. We're working on all of these details. The thing is, um, tickets come available, like 250 tickets come available every 15 days or so. So like twice a month. And on the 15th of September, a new tranche is actually going to be opened. If you are a Bankless Premium member, you get notice of this first. So you can get your ticket first. They sell out quickly. The last one sold out in just a few hours once people realized it was open. I think this will as well. The other thing about it is prices go up every 15 days. 
it was kind of one of those fun crypto experiments, right? It's like you buy now or you have FOMO and you buy at a higher price later, right? This is like crypto. So tickets are now $275. They're still going to 10X over the next few months uh, leading into the conference. So now's the time to get them. Once again, if you are a Bankless Premium subscriber, it's $80 in savings right off the bat. So become a Bankless Premium subscriber. You want in on that conference. feels like a no-brainer. Uh, David, we also um, are talking a lot about so rare these days uh, and what they're doing in the NFT space. So uh, what's going on in fantasy soccer land? Right. NFTs have the ability to be custom fit for any sort of, of project or application or uh, uh, product. And so rare is doing fantasy football. Uh, that's soccer for you Americans out there uh, using NFTs on Arbitrum on layer two so we can save on gas fees and you can pick your squad. You can compete for prizes. Uh, and it is just a, a, one of those cool, awesome. Bankless uh, is proud oops, to be one of those cool, awesome, like legacy applications that is being ported over towards Ethereum Rails and DeFi applications to do all the same things that we know and love, but now on crypto terms. You're muted, Ryan. What I love about this too is it's all on layer two, so like no gas fees, right? And this is like a layer two success story. So they've they've sold I don't know 130 million something like this in uh, so rare NFT cards. Uh, just this year alone. So super exciting to see what they're doing. Bring fantasy sports to Ethereum. So thanks to So Rare for sponsoring this message. All right, David, um, I think that's it. Before I ask you the question, I always ask at the beginning of this, which is what is the state of the nation today, sir? State of the nation is curating. We are curating. The whole promise about NFTs and what all people have realized in the, in the last few, just like uh, you know, there was the first NFT mania and then now recently the second, is that some of these NFTs have the power to be like some of the deep cultural artifacts of the actual internet itself. Uh, and so uh, I, I know that's that, that perspective is one I've gained from DC himself. And so while we are perusing DC's gallery alongside with him shoulder to shoulder in just a second, we are all curating. We are all curating part of deep internet culture history. Hopefully uh, our picks, our curations are actually the right things to pick. So we will pick DC's brain about how he thinks about curating NFTs. No longer DC investor, it's DC curator, I guess. Right, David? <laughs> that was my joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Stole it. <laughs> All right, guys, we will be right back uh, after these sponsors with DC investors. Stay tuned. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum. 
which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Hey guys, we are back with DC Investor talking about the best NFT portfolio in the world. DC Investor probably needs no introduction to Bankless. He's an ETH bull. He's now an NFT legend. He's an investor and advisor in the community as well. Previous Bankless guest. DC, great to have you back on Bankless. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks thanks a lot for having me on, Ryan and David. I'm excited about today's conversation. Well, usually when we have you on, we talk all about ETH because you have such great thoughts on ETH the asset. <laughs> but now yeah. we're going to switch things up um, because it, you, you have th this fantastic curation ability in uh, NFT world as well. And we want to pick your brain on NFTs. Um, and maybe to kick things off, as we said in the intros, you saw NFTs back before a lot of people did, back before, as the kids say, they were cool, right? Um, what about like what about NFTs grabbed you when they did? And, and when did you make your first NFT purchase? Was that in 2018? Can you describe us, describe that and give us a timeline when you first got interested in this asset class? Sure, sure thing. And I think, you know, the NFT journey for me has been um, a long one, and it's been a progression, I would say, because when I first started off um, learning about NFTs, as a lot of us did in around 2017, 2018 timeframe, the exemplar at that time was CryptoKitties, which um, those who have been in crypto for a while and in Ethereum for a while remember, will remember CryptoKitties primarily because um, they quote unquote clogged up the chain <laughs> at more than one point. Um, and, 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 that what happened in that situation was people were buying these crypto kitties as collectible assets, but they were also assets that were being used like in this breeding game. And so people would be doing these crypto kitties breeding moves on chain, if you will, to create more kitties to sell. And so it kind of became this thing that, um, you know, all of these transactions are hitting the Ethereum L1 mainnet. And it was just kind of overwhelming transaction capacity. But people were doing it because they were selling these kitties on the back end of that. And so there was profit to be made there. Um, and so from my perspective, perspective at that time, I kind of viewed NFTs more as a novelty. Although, well, let me say this, I understood the long-term trajectory of the technology. Even then, um, I didn't really think about it from an art perspective, though. I was thinking about it more as like, well, can we tokenize land or house deeds and stuff like that and put it on chain and then use it as part of a programmable stack? It didn't really occur to me in a serious way that like art would become a primary use case of NFTs at that time. I know that people were creating art, um, you know, non-game art, but I never really like took it that seriously back then because I didn't really understand the vision. 
fast forward a little bit from there and we're seeing even more game items come out. So a lot of people remember Axie Infinity or no Axie Infinity and Gods Unchained. So I bought a bunch of those assets because just because I thought, well, yeah, I can totally see the gaming use case. You know, anyone who's ever played any kind of online RPG or even like a trading card game like Magic the Gathering understands the value of like unique assets that you can trade with one another and you can create an economy around. So in my mind, that was just the use case that clicked for me immediately. Still did not really get the art side of that, but that was kind of my early journey in NFTs really up until I would say the beginning of this year in 2021, or I would say the tail end of 2020. DC, would you say there was like a moment where you were like, I want to be an NFT person or was it more of a slow, slow, like, oh, slowly my portfolio becomes more and more and more NFT denominated more than it does like ETH or DeFi token denominated. When did you decide that you were really, really going to care about NFTs or was there a moment like that? There was never a moment like that, David. And, and while I care about NFTs a lot, I still care about Ethereum and just decentralized networks a lot. And that's, to me, it's all one and the same thing. And I think NFTs are really valuable addition in terms of an asset class to the decentralized ecosystem. And um, I know that in previous episodes that I've been on with you guys, I talk a lot about the censorship resistant value of Ether as a collateral asset. I think NFTs actually, you know, something that isn't being talked about enough is that when NFTs create this new value on Ethereum, they're expanding actually the economic bandwidth of Ethereum even further. They're expanding the size of the Ethereum-based economy. So I view this as like the first um, product market fit of like decentralized economy beyond just like mindless like token flipping, you know, which is which is really probably the first element of it. But now this is something that's a lot more participative. It's visual. It's interesting. It has this cultural component. But there was never a moment when I set out to say, well, I want to be like this NFT guy. It just kind of like happened. I still don't really view myself as that. I view myself as like a decentralization guy. And I see NFTs as just being a core part of that, to be honest. DC, let, can we go through your thought process back in 2018, 2019, before NFTs really had proven to the market that there was going to be like global demand, global liquidity for these things? Uh, I, I, and I, I want to ask this before and after question. So the same question uh, twice, but back in 2018, 2019, what was your thought process like about like how you would vet or analyze or decide that you wanted to purchase an NFT? Did you think that like, oh, I'm going to buy this now and sell it later? Or I like the art? Like, how did you, what was your like curation thought process back before NFTs were what they are today? So most, I will say that most of my NFT collection was actually purchased in the early part of this year. Mm. which was still seems like ancient times, <laughs> by the way. Okay. And we can go through that progression a little bit. But when I was buying those game assets in 2018, 2019 timeframe, really during the bear market, one, it was kind of a distraction from the prices of Ether and the other tokens that were just like going down. So I was like, you know, I can at least like have some fun playing these games. I was playing Gods Unchained and stuff like that. But in my mind, like the value proposition was clear in that, you know, if these games take off and if these economies take off, then these assets will be worth more. And I can also use them to play the game. And they have like rarer version of cards. Same thing with Axie Infinity. You know, there are some Axies that are more powerful than others. And so I was really buying them as bets on like these games taking off, right? And if you look at like 
Also, if you look at games like Magic the Gathering and like the trading card space, so Magic the Gathering actually pioneered basically that entire genre of the trading card game. And early Magic the Gathering cards are now worth like a ton of money. You know, like a Black Lotus can be bought for several hundred thousand dollars or, or higher depending on the quality of the card. So I saw a value in kind of being early to some of that. Some of those things haven't exactly played out yet. But I will say that earlier this year is really when I got into like the NFT art scene. And it really was a byproduct of the fact that like, as I, as you guys know, I was a career management consultant. I spent 15 years doing public sector consulting and I left that job in February, um, early February. And so starting in January, I just started to open my eyes more to other things that are going on within Ethereum. To include, and obviously we were all very immersed in like the early Ethereum stuff, the early DeFi stuff, but getting into NFTs was something I never really had like the mental space to do. I saw people though, who were very passionate about their NFTs on Twitter. And I always pay attention to this stuff. I really do try to like sense what people are talking about and why they're talking about it. Is it just blind bag pumping or is, it, is there something else there? And with NFTs, I saw these people who are just like rabid collectors. And I saw it first actually in CryptoPunks. And I saw it like relatively early. So really in like, that was probably around January when CryptoPunks were still like a couple of Ether each. You could buy you could buy a CryptoPunk for a couple of Ether. But I kind of tried to unpack the psychology behind that. And there was actually a really notable paper by, um, I don't know if you guys recall this. It was by um, Fu Basler, Crypto Diario, and um, Alex Gaussman, just talking about the CryptoPunk like fat thesis, which was like talking about how CryptoPunks would absorb all this value. I think the paper is probably like a year old now, well ahead of its time. Okay. I remember reading it when it first came out and I was like, well, maybe, you know, I could maybe see that happening. But then in January or February time, I was like, okay, I, these are still cheap. It makes sense to like make, place a small bet on this. And I like the collectible aspect of it. So I went out and I bought my first couple of CryptoPunks. And that was really what kind of led me down the rabbit hole, to be honest. I think that's true for a lot of people. It started off in like that collectible aspect, but then progressed on into the art aspect. Can, can we talk about that? So like, this is where I kind of... um got off the ride um you see like in my own in my own kind of like so i totally saw what you saw um with like nfts being a really important uh, primitive with crypto kitties right and then i also saw it was very obvious to me as like a former gamer that um like the the virtual gaming gods unchained cards axes would be a big deal right but Mm -hmm. but then i didn't like i totally missed the um the crypto punks thing and then i missed like the broader art thing and like now i see it but like now now, he has a turtle as his profile picture (laughs) (laughs) that's just to make fun of david (laughs) um but but i like what was it when you purchased your first uh crypto punk that like i guess put you over the edge into uncovering all of these other art pieces and then why did you like what did you see in these other art pieces at that time 
Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think the signal for me was when I saw people were using them more broadly as profile pictures. And I, and there were a few people doing that, like all along, you know, they weren't, they aren't necessarily like big name profiles that you would recognize. But when I saw people doing that, it kind of clicked for me. People are like identifying with these assets. And I was like, that's like a super powerful driver. And I was like, you know, what's it going to take for someone who's using this as their profile picture to sell one? And then my, the gear started turning there. Right. Um, so I got, I bought a few crypto punks and I was actually really involved with the crypto punk discord for a while. And I was just kind of chatting with people there. And I was like, Hey, what do you guys think are cool attributes? Why do you guys like them? And they're like, Oh, we like hoodies and the big beards and stuff like that. And so I bought, I bought a, that's why one of the reasons why I bought a hoodie punk and I thought they look cool. Of course so I bought one, but from there, I really started to talk to more people within that discord and they kind of clued me into this on-chain generative art space, which is the space that I've like really like fallen down the rabbit hole pretty hard because I'll tell you like, I, and I'm not saying like the one of one art is like not a good market to be in because I own some one of one art myself, but I never really, that value proposition never clicked for me as much because you can have like that JPEG like anywhere, right? I, and I get that one person owns it, but that value proposition didn't click for me as much as the on-chain generative art. And I think some of your listeners will be familiar with on-chain generative art. And when I talk about on-chain generative art, I'm really talking about these um, when, when you have these minting of pieces on chain using a generative algorithm. And basically when the user submits a transaction, the hash of that transaction provides the source of randomness for that art algorithm. And so that outputs basically a fixed number of pieces depending on what the artist has specified. That was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, now you can have this like unique this art form that had existed before now produces these unique outputs and now they can be collected and traded. That I kind of like needed that I think to like really get it and CryptoPunks, um, but that's really when I kind of fell down the rabbit hole and I started looking at all of these art blocks pieces. And I can talk to you guys about some of the ones that I bought early on and why. But that's kind of how I fell down the rabbit hole. We're about to open up your portfolio and actually take a peek here in a second. But, but before we do that, I do want to just get your perceptions as to like the before and after, the compare and contrast of like, you know, the the pre-adopted state of NFT markets and then the post-adopted state of NFT markets, right? Like CryptoPunks were dormant for like three years before they really got going. Mm -hmm. Artblocks saw success really, really quickly, but Artblocks are also relatively new. But as someone who's like straddled the pre and post liquid phase of, of NFTs, has your thought process or curation strategies or just buying process changed or evolved or adapted at all now that we are kind of in a, a phase where NFTs have kind of seen more adoption than DeFi in some sectors of the world? Yeah, it, it has a little bit for sure. Because when I got, when I went, that period when I was, that I was describing to you in January, February timeframe, when I got that generative art concept in my head, I realized kind of this could be like really big. And, and propel the entire NFT space forward. So I kind of went into like a land grab mode. And I think a lot of people thought I was like crazy at the time. And, you know, like I was chatting with, with some of my friends, including you guys, and you guys weren't the ones who were giving me grief, but some people were like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you spending so much money on this stuff? And, and you're not just spending money, sir. You're spending ETH, ETH let yeah. me remind you. <laughs> well, at the time, and I will say this was like a policy of mine was at, for every NFT that I bought, like I was actually using DeFi to help me finance the, those purchases. So and I don't recommend this necessarily, but one of the things that I said was, look, I'm, I'm not going to give up my ether to buy these. I'm going, I was borrowing against 
my Ether and other assets. And then I used that that kind of capital that I was borrowing to then buy the NFTs, right? And I was like, eventually I'll pay off these loans in some way, but it was actually DeFi that allowed me to do all of this. And it allowed me to take that kind of controlled risk and I didn't have to lose my exposure to Ether. If I couldn't have done that, I probably would not have bought as many NFTs. And I know the value of some mm. of my collection has swelled a fair amount, but like when I bought some of these, they weren't like nearly as expensive. I'm not saying they were cheap. I didn't get in on some of these when they were like bargain basement, but that, that was my calculus as I kind of got into this. Pretty cool. Ryan, should we uh, pull up uh, DC Investors uh, portfolio? I think we should. I'm uh, I'm anxious to dive in here. DC. So um, I'm pulling up this website, which um, I think I've seen this before maybe, but this appears to be a curated gallery. So this is not necessarily all of the NFTs that, that you own, but these are NFTs that you have curated to be displayed on this gallery.so website. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. It's a lot of them. And it's funny because some people will use the term um, portfolio. I view it, I, I consider it more of like a collection than a portfolio. Ah, okay. And yeah. Right. Which is kind of like a distinction. And I get that right. people are now viewing them more as like investments. But at the time I was like, I want to collect these because I view them as pieces of that internet culture, which David, I think your statement at the top of this episode kind of nailed that idea, which is these are pieces of like internet history. So I, I my thought process has always been like, there are only going to be so many pieces of history to go around. And if I want any of them, I better like get them and I collect them. So I will, I will sell some of them like eventually, but I didn't start off with the mindset of I'm doing this as like a for-profit venture, if that makes sense. I, I think that's such a good distinction. See, my mind is still in the kind of like, we've got assets and there's like finance and it's DeFi and these are stores of value. But like thinking about these as cultural collections, I think is the right language to use for this sort of thing. So um, we're, we're taking a peek. How many, how many items are in this um, curated list, DC? Oh, it's quite a few, to be honest. I couldn't give you an exact number, but it's probably like a, a couple hundred or maybe a few hundred in here. And, um, you know, not all of them are like super valuable at the top of this list. You'll see or top of this um, gallery, you'll see my autoglyphs. So these were actually the very first on-chain generative art. So after I bought some of those art blocks pieces that I talked about. I started to like talk to people and learn more about all the stuff that was happening like during the bear market, basically in NFTs when a lot of us were not paying attention. And they're like, oh yeah, autoglyphs were actually the first on-chain generative art. So I tried to buy as many of them as I could. They were already quite expensive, but in my mind, the significance of these first um, on-chain generative art pieces um, could not be duplicated, basically. And so well, I'm like, wondering as we as we scroll through this, DC, what's the best way to look at this? Should we do it by timeline and find some pieces that you bought kind of early and work our way backwards, or like, wh what do you think, David? Where should we start here? Well, I think the first question I want to ask DC is we, we, using the uh, frame of reference as deep cultural artifacts of the internet itself. Which uh, is, which of the assets with the, uh, the NFTs in your portfolio do you think most resonate with that framing? Is it the autoglyphs? I think it's probably the CryptoPunks and the Autoglyphs for yeah. sure, both of which were created by Larva Labs, who have mm -hmm. kind I'm of. I'm going to scroll down to the CryptoPunks then. Yeah, go for it. And, um, you know, I bought a few and, and wedged in between them are a few Avastars. And so that, that CryptoPunk in the middle right there with the eye patch is actually the first one I bought. And by wow. the way, almost all of these are floor punks. And one of the things that I do is um, I'm kind of like a ruthless floor value hunter. 
Like, so, so here's an interesting thing about NFTs, which you guys may, may appreciate from what you've seen in the space, right? A lot of crypto people are like mathy type people, right? So they get really hung up on like the rarity of different um, attributes and stuff like that, especially for these randomized pieces. And when I look at them, I was like, okay, I guess I get like the random attribute perspective, but there's nothing that replaces for me, like aesthetically, how does a piece look when it like comes together? Right. Huh. And to me, this guy with the iPad was just like, it perfect. really, and, and still is like the perfect floor crypto punk. It probably shouldn't have been a floor crypto punk. <laughs> He's gotten an eye patch and a five o'clock shadow too. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, exactly. It's just like this and, and like the crazy hair. It's like, this is like perfect. I couldn't believe that it was a floor. And then, but then as I uncovered like the collector psychology at the time, everyone's just focused on attribute, right? Huh. Very few people. And I think, I think that for a lot of crypto people, that is easier to do. And they feel more comfortable doing that than actually trying to make like an aesthetic um, right. assessment. Right. Yeah. You, people like, especially people, people like objectivity, right? And so they go and say, oh, well, there's only like X number of this attribute and that number is really much, so much lower than all the other attributes. So therefore it's rare. Therefore I feel secure in my investment where DC, what you're saying is like, well, this guy looks cool and I like that. <laughs> and and exactly. so, so you're saying that, that may, maybe perhaps in the long term that people are discounting too much, uh, something that just straight up looks cool. I think so, 100%. And so that's why I got that iPatch guy. The second CryptoPunk I bought was actually the one to the right of that, which was the, which is this funny guy like smoking a pipe. And I was kind of like, this is like my bear market alter ego right here. So I was like, <laughs> I just thought, I just thought he's hilarious. You smoke a pipe in real life? No, Do no I don't. But, but I just think this guy is absolutely hilarious. He's like frowning. He's smoking a pipe. He's got his glasses on. He's watching the charts decline. You know? And so I was like, and I thought he was a great compliment to that other one. And so I was like, okay, I'm done now but then i kept to like buying more that's kind of my nft story is mm. i got addicted to buying them i bought that guy in the lower right the guy the the, the guy with the mohawk mm. yeah that guy and then from there i actually like so those were all floor punks right and i was like well you know what i kind of want one that's like i would like to have as my avatar it could be that pipe smoking guy but this is when i i guess transitioned into a quote nft identity and that's when i bought that um the the hoodie crypto punk right and at the time i bought this one for 10 ether which was probably around 20k at the time and i just thought it was like i was like this guy looks kind of badass he's kind of like chill i love the big shades just everything about him was like i i loved it so i was just like and and i actually i did i had bid 10 but the seller wanted 12 and i remember exchanging messages with him i was like would you sell it for less and he's like oh no sorry you can't sell it for less than 12 and i was like all right i better just buy it if i want it and so i bought it and then i set it as my profile picture and i think the rest is kind of like history after that because that's that's kind of i would feel like that was a moment when things started to blow up not because i changed my profile picture but you know it just kind of coincided with that there's a, this quip that I hear often from people who are really into like tattoos is like after you get your first tattoo, you can't stop thinking about just your next tattoo. And I feel like that is exactly what just happened to you, DC, where you got your first like CryptoPunk and then you just became like a CryptoPunk maxi. And it's like, well, now I need all of them. <laughs> It's so funny because like when I was buying them, the people in the CryptoPunks Discord, I was just like, okay, this is my last one. And then I come <laughs> back, like they see they see the sales spot go off on one another. I just kept buying them. And you know, I will say, like, unlike a lot of people, there, speaking of CryptoPunk maxis, there are people who are like CryptoPunks are like the only NFTs that are really worth much. There used mm-hmm. to be more people like that a few months ago. And I never subscribed to that because I was just like, 
look, it, there's going to be other NFTs that are interesting. So I could have just bought a bunch of CryptoPunks at the beginning. But again, that wasn't really aligned with like what I was trying to do. For me, it was more interesting to pull together like this collection that I'm excited about. And it's kind of like a reflection of my taste, if that makes sense. Uh, DC, have you ever sold one? Have you ever flipped one? Or have you only bought? I, I basically only bought so far and like so so that's why i'm not buying like a ton of new nfts because mm. i don't have like infinite liquidity but my mindset was always like i'm putting money into this that i can afford to lose and i want to hold on to these long term and then over the past few months more so it's been like well you know what this is actually like an asymmetric bet on culture and it's kind of like binary either these things like 50x to 100x or they like go to zero and i say zero hyperbolically because i don't think that anything will ever go to zero so i was like i don't really i don't I, I don't need to like realize the profits from these. So I'm not going to sell them. The only thing that I have sold was actually some land from Axie Infinity. And you guys might not be aware of this, but within the Axie Infinity game, there's actually land that you can use for the gameplay. I bought several parcels of it during the bear market. And I wasn't really playing the game, but I was just like, I just want to kind of support the creators of this game. And I was like, you know, so I bought it directly when they were being offered. And I ended up selling some of that for like a, 200x profit or something and i actually forgot i had the listing up it just kind of like sold and i was like okay that's cool but that's the only nft that i've sold so far and it's some some of these like i mean could you ever sell this one with the hoodie that's become like your nft identity there's a somebody in the youtube chat that says that that crypto punk has become iconically tied to dc Probably it has. <laughs> so like, and that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought process. Cause like, can I sell it? I could, right. I, I mean, I could sell it and it might even have someone who's like a fan of mine or wants to support me might even put a premium on it. You know, like they might want to buy that. Um, there might be others who say, oh, that's DC's punk. I don't want to use it as my own identity. Right. For me, I think- Putting on DC's probably, face. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, for me, it's kind of like one of the last NFTs I would ever sell if I had to like sell my NFTs, if that makes well, sense. So can I ask you this? Because this mm -hmm. is interesting on kind of NFT theory is like, I would also say um, because this has become so iconic with you, DC- Right. Mm -hmm. And like, because you've been, you know, a core part of this movement as well, you've also made this NFT more valuable. Right. So there's something to like the, the, uh, I guess, second order effect of somebody purchasing an NFT that has less value. And then because they assume it as their identity, because they use it in all of these places, because, you know, they build kind of their reputation in the digital world or the mm -hmm. non-digital world, they make that NFT more valuable. I feel like you've definitely made this NFT more valuable. Is this a commonly talked about, uh, understood thing in NFT circles? I think it's starting to be more understood. And right now it's just because I think a lot of it is like us crypto nerd types who have been like in on this. But now you have like actual like celebrities who have nothing to do with crypto historically coming in and buying crypto punks. Like Jay-Z has a crypto punk as his profile picture. You've got several athletes that are doing it. Does the fact that they have owned one of those crypto punks make it more valuable? For almost certainly. Definitely. Right? And even like the attributes of the ones that they're selecting, right, might make them more valuable. And even like I, I've heard people, and I think hoodie punks are the coolest personally. 
uh, I wish I had more of them, but like, you know, you see a lot of people using hoodie punks as their avatars, you know, and, and people associate hoodies now with them. And now they want a hoodie that has definitely happened. And that's raised the floor prices of hoodies. But I think the phenomenon you're talking about, Ryan, extends beyond just the avatars into the art pieces as well, because now you're starting to see a lot more recognition around who's collecting these pieces and why. And at the time when I, so when I put together this gallery page, there were not, surprisingly, there were not many NFT collectors like creating galleries like this. They just kind of had them in their open sea. A lot of them were, they were flipping, you know, to be honest. So they don't necessarily like want to advertise that this is like something they own when they're going to sell it next week. But for me, like I all, my vision was always to create some kind of like 3D metaverse gallery. And the technology is not like there yet for me to create an experience that I want to do there. So I was like, well, let me just start arranging them in 2D. And I found, I ran, I, I tried a bunch of gallery sites um, and they just didn't work for me. They were like a little too garish. They're focused on the price too much. They're focused on all this metadata. And I just want, I was like, I just want to arrange the NFTs the way I want to on a website. And I came across gallery.so and I, and, and I've now become like a huge supporter of theirs. I'm an angel investor in them and I work with their team as well. And I just started laying them out here and I was like, oh my God, I, I was like, now I can finally like experience my NFTs in a way that I'm excited about and, and I can go and share with other people. And I actually visit my gallery frequently just to kind of like tweak things here and there and just to kind of reflect on what I've collected and what I want to collect next. And so the more that people create galleries like this, that will also, I think, confer value on certain types of pieces because you're signaling like, hey, I'm holding this. I think this has value in the way that humans are. They naturally look for social cues around what's valuable and what isn't. And I, I mean, I try not to like abuse. I don't consider it like a power. It's just like a consequence of like collecting these things and holding them. But it's something that I don't like abuse. Like I don't, uh, I'll never like take an NFT for money and like put it in my gallery. I will only buy and collect things that like I actually like. And not all of them are going to be valuable, but I don't, I don't really care. Well, that's why, that's why we call you maker. DC curator. Right. Yeah. yeah DC exactly. curator. <laughs> yeah. D, yeah. Decentralized curator. We can call it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like it, for me, it's just like, I'm just curating my own gallery. I don't have like an ambition beyond that. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like pump these pieces or anything like that. Cause I'm not going to sell any of them like anytime soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to sell many of them anytime soon. Let me put it that way. And so for me, just the value of being able to pull these together has been huge. And it was somewhere along the way, like back when I was doing this in the early days, like no one cared. <laughs> like I would be like, hey guys, check out my NFT gallery. It's like, okay, cool. What are these? And now people go to it and they're like, holy crap. Like, do you know how much this one's worth and that one's worth? And I was like, look, when I started putting them in here, they were not worth that much. And now like some people associate with like a status symbol or whatever. I, I think the flex, like I, I put out a tweet once and I was like, the flex is not like the monetary worth of them. The flex is like your taste, right? And I think like if you're collecting NFTs, like have it be a reflection of your taste, not like your net worth, you know? And I think that's like, that's something really like fundamental that I would suggest people think about. I actually wanted to take that transition and go into the art blocks conversation uh, because DC, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about how you uh, bought floor punks based off of their aesthetics, right? Uh, and so I wanted to apply that same sort of lens to art blocks and how you think art blocks might be valued 
based on their aesthetics rather than just like their price, right? Like some art blocks are really highly priced um, and people are still trying to like figure out how the market is pricing these things. Uh, but you have a, a really awesome set of Fidenzas that you have as a three by three and run, I think it's uh, further down south on the page. Uh, and I think it's one of the, my favorite sets that you have here on, on this page uh, on, on your gallery. And, and you've curated them so that like there's the green pink ones up at top. We got the multicolored ones with the, with the same backgrounds in the middle and then a, a similar set of three down at the bottom. Can you talk about the role of aesthetics when it comes to art blocks and also the, the again, like just double down on the whole like set generation side of things as they pertain to, to art blocks? Yeah, I think that, so for me, with all of the art blocks I've collected, almost without exception, um, it has been aesthetically driven for me, right? There have been a couple of land grabs that I've made, which I'll talk about in a second, but like, I have really focused on, and you can just see this. So I actually bought a lot of these art blocks pieces before I had this gallery, but in my head, I was always buying pieces, thinking about how, how I would physically arrange them like one day. And it kind of started with like, okay, these two would look good next to each other. And I was like, okay, let's add a third. And I was like, you know what, what if I had like a two by three and there, or what if I had a three by three like visual? And so it just kind of like expanded from there. But for me with art blocks, aesthetics is always like number one. I like the, the whole attribute rarity. Like, I don't want to say I don't care about it at all, but I care like very little about it. But for some people, that's all they care about. And I'm not trying to tell any collector like what they should care about. I'm more just saying like, what's important to me is being able to like display these pieces. And I think that the other thing that people miss is like, everyone's focused on rarity, but fast forward to like 10 years from now, like there's only going to be a thousand ringers. There's only going to be a thousand fidenzas. Like, is it that important that you have like one of those that's like some super rare attribute? Just having even one of these pieces might be like a big deal at that point. I mean, it's kind of a big deal now, I guess. But like, I, I feel like people get wrapped up in those dynamics instead of just buying pieces they, they like and they spend a lot more. So almost, so by the way, all of these Fidenzos were floor Fidenzos, 100% of them. And I just, and, and I bought them when they were cheaper, um, kind of right before they went completely parabolic, I guess. But like, I was able to like assemble these sets. I just bought them all very quickly in sequence. I was like, okay, these three would look good, good together, buy them. Um, but I think like, I think the story actually, if you want to go back up towards the ringers, Ryan, because I do want to kind of point out how I thought about some of this stuff in earlier days and actually go above, slightly above the ringers. Um, it, there you go right here. Uh, yeah. If you scroll down just a tad. Um, so you see there, okay, um, these pieces here, these five around this X copy, this is from a set called Genesis on Artblocks. So this is one of the day one releases um, at Artblocks. And the piece that you're hovering over right now, that red one, is actually Genesis Zero. So that is the first user-minted Artblocks piece ever created. Um, there were a few created by like um, Snowfro and Jeff Davis, who are like the, the guys that were running the site. They, they minted also some squigglies, which are a day one set, and also construction token, which was a day one set by Jeff Davis. So Snowfro did crummy squiggly. Um, and, and, and so this Genesis Zero piece was the first user mint. And when I saw it for sale, I was like, this was like actually the first art blocks piece that I bought. And it was kind of like a land grab. Cause I was like, okay, everyone's I, like, I, I spent some time in the art blocks discord and in the CryptoPunks discord, everyone was talking about it. Like people who like 
I feel like we're the genesis of this community. I was like, I got to buy some of these. And I bought Genesis Zero just on the spot. So it's not my favorite piece, like aesthetically, but I felt like it was like a really important piece of history. Um, and that's kind of how I got into it. From there, though, I very quickly kind of discovered Ringers, which is below this. And that's when I like really fell down like the rabbit hole. Because for me, I really like kind of the more abstract art style. A lot of these have like, the way that I talk about it is kind of like an anthropomorphic or zoomorphic aspect to it. So if you scroll up to that red one um, there, Ryan, like that one looks like a moose, you know, mm -hmm. like actually Dimitri Cherniak calls that one the moose. The one on the left looks like a raven. And, you know, so each one of the one under the raven looks kind of like an angel, you know. It, so I feel like those are like things that kind of they're kind of evocative of something. And these are pieces that make you think. But when I realized like mental, it took me a second to like make the leap these are all based on like an algorithm. They're created at random during mint. And there's only like 1000 and the artist could not curate the outputs. I kind of saw the value proposition of the genre immediately. And so that's when I really went on my like generative art buying spree. And on that note, we know that uh, uh, Three Hours Capital bought a ringer that famously looks like a goose and it mm -hmm. totally looks like a goose. And uh, there was an insane premium attached to that. Uh, DCI, I want to uh, back up really quick and, and go back to like the whole aesthetic question about uh, art blocks. You, you said like mm -hmm. you don't really play the rarity game on art blocks too much. You, you kind of prefer the aesthetic game. Uh, and you also said like, you know, there's only a thousand like ringers. There's only a thousand X. Do you, do you think that like the reason why different art block sets are priced differently, like Fidenzens are really, really highly priced, ringers are really, really highly priced, you think that is because of aesthetics as in like the market is like, oh yeah, Fidenzas, everyone generally agrees that like Fidenzas look really, really cool. And so like maybe it's like the sets themselves are priced based off of the aesthetics and then like maybe the rarity inside the sets reprices individual uh, uh, units inside of that set um, according to rarity. How, how do you think about that? So I think that, so the pricing of any NFT set, I think is an extremely complex formula and I can't, mm. I, it's really hard for me to like distill down, like what makes one set more valuable than another. I think what is interesting about NFTs versus other kinds of art is the ability for them to like develop this mimetic or viral value, like on the internet in a way that has not really been seen in traditional art, right? If you go back to like, early like hundreds of years ago right a lot of artists would die before their work became famous and by extension they became famous now an artist can put out a set and it can go viral or like if the right people start collecting it then other people want it and i think that is like we've already seen that in the internet generation or in the internet world for a long time but now you can apply it to discrete defined ownership of these visual assets and so to me i do think aesthetics is an important component of that are there aesthetic sets that are not aesthetically like balancer is a powerful platform valuable? Absolutely. I mean, so it's not enough that it like looks good. There are other like ineffable qualities that I look at. And very often, by the way, guys, I'm not like minting these projects on day one. I'm normally buying after they've been minted. I'm buying on secondary because I want the pieces that I like. I like to see how the market reacts to them. I like to see how the collectors are reacting. Like is that like a risk strategy? You like just don't want the level of minting risk? 
Yeah. I mean, partially, absolutely. I mean, there are sets that I have minted and I do like the minting, but I also don't like getting into like gas wars and stuff like that. So uh, for me, like I would, there's no way I would have been able to randomly mint the set of nine Fidenzas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The only way to build something like this is to buy them on secondary, the pieces that you want. I might've been able to mint like one or two and then build a collection around that. And I've done that for some sets, but also like there are sets that don't gain that traction. And then I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to put a lot of money into something that I feel like won't necessarily develop that cultural premium. Right. And I think that cultural premium is like, that's the ineffable part of this. That's really hard to understand because you're kind of making a bet on what are people going to find interesting today? What's going to influence artists to, for, of tomorrow that's being created today? And how are collectors going to look back on this set? Are they going to look back on it with fondness? Are they going to view it as overhyped? And I don't, I don't claim to like know the answers to those things, but that is all of those are factors that go into my own calculus when I'm buying a set. Like, because I, I think like just as important as like what's in my collection are all the things that are like not in it. Right. There's a lot of things that I could have bought and there. And that is not to say they're bad. Like, I think I do think every collector needs to have a circle of competence. They need to have like something they're interested in. And that's how you build a collection. Otherwise, you're just buying like a little bit of everything and you end up with nothing that you're really excited about. At least that's how I approach it. Peace. Oh, you muted, Ryan. But uh, DC. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'll go. <laughs> DC, this has been super cool so far. Honestly, I want to like uh, come back after the sponsors and camp out in your in your museum a little bit more in your collection a little bit more because there are so many other pieces I think we should cover. So guys, we will be right back with DC touring his collection. But uh, before we get back, we want to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using Balancer's asset managers. Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between Balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus trading on other platforms. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. 
Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid DAI markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. And we are back with DC Investor and his famous portfolio. Uh, DC, I want to turn the uh, conversation to one of ones, which are uh, people that uh, a, side, a side of NFTs that are very, very important that actually are like the most alike towards like the legacy art world, right? Like when a painter paints something, there's only one of that. And so we also have, we have the world of one of ones also in the NFT space. So when it comes to a one of one strategy, how, how do you change up what you think about or, or how you invest when it comes to one of ones? So I, I am definitely not I'm probably one of the least sophisticated one of one collectors out there. And I, I, I generally will prefer sets just because I have more comfort in what I'm buying. There's normally other assets that are like, you know, we, what we can call comps or comparables. And so when I buy something from a set, I can see, well, this one just traded at that price. So I have a pretty good idea of that. However, there are a bunch of like really talented one of one artists. And I wish I could like own more pieces by them, but like I'll point to one of them. And this is this like flashing tank one there. So that's an X copy. And that's actually, it's actually ironically part of a set of six, but each one of the six was hand created by X copy and is unique. So it is a unique piece. And this was probably the first one of one that I spent like a serious sum of money on. Um, and it, it, this one was definitely quite expensive, but I recognize that X copy is a really important NFT artist. And X copy is one of these like true OGs along with Coldy and a bunch of other guys who are creating NFTs through the entire bear market. When guys like us were not paying attention to this stuff at all, they were cranking out these drops. They were putting them on super rare. People were buying them. And so I wanted to have at least one one of one by X copy. Um, but the calculus, I think, for these really has to be on more around the artist. And you really have to think about what, who is this artist? what is their place in kind of the milieu or the popular culture and how are they going to be looked back on in, in decades from now? That's how I think about it. But you can see these other X copies I have, which are all of the slightly epilepsy tr triggering seizure, seizure one. They should have a seizure warning on them really <laughs> with all the flashing. But I just thought like the art aesthetic was like really cool. And actually the other ones are all like part of a set, right? So like this, the one next to that tank one to the left, Overlord, that is number two of 20 of that series. Same with the one to the right of that. So these are all like sets of 20. But if you think about it, that's still like super exclusive. There's not a lot of those, you know, and like there's definitely not enough X copy to go around for all the people who want X copy. So I have no problem buying these like one of N sets 
You know, I think like some of my favorite pieces are these one of N sets um, versus the one of ones. Um, so I don't have like a ton of like one of ones that I would really say like I'm super proud of. Um, I will say like maybe we can talk, maybe we can jump to the end of the gallery for a moment, Ryan, because I do want to show you. You have some beeples too. I've I've heard. Oh yeah, yeah. We can talk about those on the way. Um, and I well, think here, before of... we get there, I'd like to DC right before we started going live here. You tweeted out, "You don't realize it yet, but many NFTs are actually artist social tokens." Can you elaborate mm -hmm. on that tweet? Yeah, I think that so. There's really two layers to that. The first is when you buy a piece of art from an artist, an NFT. And if you're buying it as something you're holding, you know, I think most people are buying one to support the artist, but two, as a, as a collector like myself, I don't buy just to support the artist. I am buying with the expectation that it's going to go up in value, or at least a lot of it will, because I'm not going to, I mean, like if it's something cheap, if it's something relatively inexpensive, I don't have a problem like spending a little bit of money to support a creator and just being like, okay, I think you're doing cool work. I'm going to buy something. If I'm spending like five figures plus on something though, I at least want to have an expectation that I'm not like destroying the value that I'm putting into that. I want to, I want to have some confidence that I might be able to sell it again if I want to, even if I never sell it. And also that's just part of the mental stimulation for like a collector. Um, I think people, and I've collected other stuff in the past, like magic, the gathering cards and things like that. I didn't do a lot of physical collecting because you need a lot of space to like take care of that inventory. So NFTs are kind of like a perfect fit for me in that regard. Um, but while we're here and we're talking about these beeples, so um, these beeples were just ones, these were some other like notable pieces that I bought, like that had already like appreciated a lot, but I feel like Beeple is going to be remembered as a pretty important creator in this movement as well as someone who, cause he's like a great story in the sense of he's a creator that has been creating this work for years, right? The guy's been creating like a piece every single year and posting it on Instagram for like a really long time. And he's developed a huge following, but he never really had a way to monetize that. And now he has a way to monetize that in a way that's very significant. So the one that you've got up here, which is the politics is bullshit one. Um, I eventually picked up one of these. This is people's first ever NFT drop. Okay. <laughs> and he sold these for $1 each. Okay. That was like each one of these was sold for a dollar. And oh my God. Yeah, this it's kind of um, crazy. He released this October 29th, 2020. I'm reading here. Yes. And so that was that was like ancient history and NFT time. But I remember when it dropped. And I was kind of like, I, I heard about it and I was like, everyone's like, oh, Beeple's doing a drop. And I was like, okay, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. But then I tracked the price on these things. I was like, wow, people are really buying into this. And these are still trading at pretty high valuations. And so I decided to pick up one of these eventually because I was like, what's well, people's first drop? You know, I mean, like, and I would love to have some of his one of ones, but they were outside of my price range. So I didn't do that. Um, alongside these, if you want to go back, Ryan, um, to, the, to the gallery. So there's two others here. There's Into the Ether and Bull Run. And I think these pieces are also like, these pieces resonated with me for obvious reasons because they're like the crypto theme. And I love it. I mean, I love this Into the Ether one. This is so cool. It is a really cool and, one, yeah. And there's like a print, I, I don't recall the exact number of this, but I think each one of these has like between 200 and 300 um, open edition, but that didn't really matter to me. I was like, these are still like, for me, for me, again, going back to what you said at the top, David, it's all about like the crypto culture that we're creating. And what is like more iconic about the crypto culture than like artwork that's about Ethereum and about Bitcoin. And so I wanted to like buy some of that. 
and these these pieces actually came with physical editions also and i don't have them like in front of me but like people ships this to you with like a digital frame with the art that you can like plug in and it displays the art he sends you like some weird stuff like a hair sample <laughs> you know like it's just like other stuff you got like a little certificate Wait, a sample of his hair Yes, it's a sample of his hair in a vial. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he. I mean, he's kind of an eccentric guy, but I, you know, we love it. And so, so anyway, I just thought those were really cool. And um, I know one of the points that you guys wanted to hit on was around like physical and digital NFTs, totally. and maybe we can just talk sure. talk about that for a second here, because I think that with so this is a case of NFTs where when you bought the NFT, you also got a physical with it, right? The problem is these things can become separated over time. So in general, for me, like I don't typically buy stuff like this because I don't want to have like physical and digital inventory I'm managing. For me, it's almost like a halfway step between going like fully digital. Like in the example that I used recently that I was talking with Tom Shaughnessy from Delphi Digital about was like, do you guys remember the Cassassius Bitcoins, like those little brass Bitcoins that you could buy? Yeah. Totally. These are like actual coins, right. actual bitcoins, coins IRL them, yeah. that you like own, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and it, all what it all it was was a brass coin with a private key inside of it, and you just hope the creator like deleted his copy of the private key, basically, <laughs> right? But like, I remember in 2013 when I was trying to buy my first Bitcoin, I was waiting for Coinbase to like approve my deposit. And I was going on eBay and I was like, maybe I should just buy one of these Cassius Bitcoins. Because in my head, I was not ready to like make that transition to digital. And so I was like, okay, if I buy this coin, then I have something physical in addition to the digital. And it's kind of weird, like I, and I know that sounds like silly to us now probably, but think about like newer participants coming into the space. Like they might care about that. They might be like, well, I want something physical. I don't just want something digital. I actually think long-term, most of the value is going to be on the digital side of these collectibles, to be honest. Um, so that's just my view of like digital NFTs. Now, now would I ever have like physical NFTs or physical art based on NFTs? Absolutely. I mean, I would be, I would, I would love to like get prints of them. I don't have a ton of space in my apartment here in, in DC area, but eventually as I have more space, I would love to like get signed prints by some of my favorite artists of pieces that I own. I'm going to put them up and kind of decorate my home with some of them. Well, let's scroll down some more DC um, to, toward the end. You wanted to get us to the end for some interesting things. So um, yes, yeah, mm -hmm. stop me anywhere. I'm just scrolling through some of these yeah, pieces Yeah, and here. you can just keep going. And a lot of these, um, there's so there's axes. a few axes there. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I actually own one. Wait, you bought, you bought one of the uh, Mark Cuban? <laughs> yeah. I did. This, so this was one of those NFTs. When I bought this, it was kind of like I splashed a fair amount for it. But I bought this one because Mark. this was Mark Cuban's first NFT. And I just thought it was cool. I was like, he only made 10 of them. I think, I think it was 10. And I was like... You know, Mark's like an early guy, one of the early like prominent people who got into Ethereum and DeFi. So I bought one of them like shortly That's after awesome. he released it. He was also very, very See? bullish on Euler Beats. So I think you've curated mm -hmm. a Mark Cuban section in your in your gallery, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. I just kind of like the juxtaposition of him doing the shoulder roll with these spinning discs. But yeah, mm -hmm. these are all of the Euler Beats that I own. These are the prints of them. I own two of the OGs as well. Um, but yeah, these are prints of all of those, um, which if you go to the website, you can listen to these generative music samples. Yeah, I was going to say, cool. because they're, it's music too, right? It's not just the, uh, NFT art in, in these. That's right. In this yeah. Case. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now we're getting to the original, um, 
crypto kitties here that you yeah purchased. we got it. yeah we got yeah so that one on the left is like actually it's not like super rare to be honest but it's like a that's a generation zero crypto kitty okay so it's one of the first like gen but it's like first in like the first like five hundred thousand or something but i was just like i want a gen zero kitty and this was like the most boring sad looking one i could find so i bought it and so i bought the are, other one i think to like get are a drop crypto or- kitties like still a big deal dc or the, they seem to have faded a little bit and like they, they didn't hold up the way uh crypto punks did I'm, I'm curious if you know why yeah i mean this is really a question of supply and demand and and when you talk about supply and demand, we're talking about um, there were there, I think there were like over a million crypto kitties, well over, uh, and and there's just not a, yeah exactly. Now I do think some of like the early founder cats might be like worth more, and I know some prominent collectors who own some of those. I don't have any, and so it's not something that it's not really a rabbit hole. I want to like go back down, but you know, different people want to collect different things. Um, now this photograph here in the middle, I think is one that's super interesting. And this is by a prominent um, photograph photography artist called Justin Aversano. And he's kind of become a pillar of like the photography NFT community and in the NFT community more broadly, I've spoken with him a few times. And so this is one of, I think there's a hundred twin flames and each one of these is unique. He went around and photographed, a hundred twins. And the whole genesis of the project was when he was born, he had a twin that like passed away. And so he wanted to create this set. And I just thought it was like, this is like the perfect melding of like on-chain art. You know, you've got these defined pieces for like a hundred piece set. Each one is unique. And a lot of like prominent collectors have at least like one twin flame. I'd love to have more, but I can't have like, can't afford to have like an infinite number of some of these because the prices have appreciated a lot. But photography NFTs are another area that are taking off like massively. It's not like an area of like competence for me. So I don't collect a ton of it. I would I'd like to get a little bit more into it, but I recognize that this is like, uh, anytime I see like something that I feel like is pretty certain going to be a piece of history, I will, I may just try to buy it just because I'm like, this is something that's important as an artifact, even beyond the art that it represents. So uh, as somebody who uh, funded my life, my, my life during college via photography, I'm really optimistic that the world of NFTs can come and help uh, add further and further like monetization and financialization layers upon more traditional art forms, right? Like we saw this with Beeple, um, and and that makes a ton of sense because Beeple is a digital artist, a 3D digital artist. Seeing it also enter the world of photography is fantastic, really, really awesome. And this is how we go from just like weird esoteric deep corners of the internet where you find crypto punk speculators to actually changing the world, the real world that's outside of Ethereum, right? Ethereum is now changing the dynamics of photography. DC, as we uh, come to a close here, we we still have a few more questions, but I want to ask your question, just a very broad question is, how do you think broadly NFTs are changing culture, not just inside of Ethereum, but outside of it as well? So I think the impact is starting to be incredibly profound, to be honest, um, to the point where I think crypto culture is going to become a dominant culture in our society. And I think NFTs are going to be a prime like propagator of that in a way that people couldn't have expected. Why is that? Because now you're giving creators the ability to earn money for digital art creations. And that has been like super difficult before, right? If you're a digital artist, you're basically relying on like 
you could have a Patreon, maybe you're selling prints of some of your work, but now you can sell these NFTs and those NFTs can create value um, you know, beyond what you created. In addition to that, there's also a royalty payments that you earn. So every time one of these NFTs changes hands on these marketplaces, there's a royalty that the smart contract, if it's enabled, allows you to earn a residual income from that. And that allows these creators to continue to create. So what does that mean? That means the quality of talent that is flooding into the space right now. These aren't just like pure amateurs. These are like people who are going to be really good, you know, and you're actually going to see people aspire now and to develop these skill sets. So I think, I do think, and I know you guys had that like Renaissance episode, like that resonated with me a lot where it's just like, I feel like we are on the cusp of this digital renaissance and we, and I think it's going to be realized as we kind of transition more and more into this concept of a metaverse. So DC, I, I think we should ask this question to almost everyone that, that tinkers around with the metaverses, because we're all trying to figure out what the metaverse actually is. So what does the metaverse mean to you? So I think the metaverse, I think it's actually fair to compare and contrast it with the internet that we have today. So I think we're in a, in a sense, you could say we're in a metaverse now, which transcends our physical reality. And we interact with one another digitally, often in ways that are like disembodied from who we are personally. Like we're doing a face-to-face -face interaction here, but a lot of times we're interacting through texts, uh, text-based chat, sometimes through voice chat, right? There's different ways that people are interacting with each other. That has been going on since the internet in like the early 90s um, when people were in IRC chats and stuff like that. The missing formula to get to metaverse is the ability to economically interact with each other in a frictionless way that I believe needs to be decentralized. And you can't just have it all run on these decentralized rails where I'm PayPaling you money and stuff like that, right? And it's, it's not just about me paying you or tipping you. It's about us transacting with one another in economically important ways. And I think NFTs are like a huge part of that, right? NFTs are arguably one of the first like digitally native economies that we've ever seen beyond just like token flipping, which we've seen a lot of, like this is people buying these pieces, they get utility out of them and they're collecting them and they're using decentralized currencies like Ether, actually primarily Ether to buy these pieces. That is huge. So I think the metaverse is emerging. Actually in earnest, we're looking to look back at 2020 slash 2021 as the birth of the metaverse, in my opinion. And it's not just going to be one like ready player one thing. It's going to be like, all of us interacting with each other online in various ways. The VR part isn't even here yet. And I don't think it like has to be like here for us to call what is happening here a metaverse. That VR component, I think, will start to emerge heavily in like the next few years. What do you think, I, just closing with uh, two questions, I guess, here, DC. So one is, uh, what's next for NFTs? And the second is, what's next for DC investor? DC curator? Yeah. <laughs> so the nfts the, what's yeah what's happening now? so i think nfts are going to continue to go even more mainstream we're going to look back at them as one of the most powerful um powerful center of gravities in terms of attracting people into crypto overall they will become the first entry point for a lot of people into crypto and i think we've seen absolutely nothing yet both on the art side which is going to, you're going to see like big institutions and big players come in and museums and things like that recognize this as a valid art form. You're also going to see 
a huge takeoff in terms of in-game items and the the designing of in-game economies, which are designed to work in a decentralized way where you're swapping assets. So I think that's going to be huge. Um, as far as what's next for me, um, my goal is just to continue to kind of help to support the decentralized ecosystem. And I'm really, I, I'm really focused on Ethereum today. I'll probably continue to be focused on it for the rest of my life, to be honest, because I view it as the most um, the most kind of decentralized network that we have so far that allows this kind of activity. But but that journey is going to take me wherever decentralization goes, because I think that undercurrent of decentralization and kind of what it means for our society is so huge that it's, and I think it's going to take decades to play out. So I'm just excited to be a part of the space, both from the Ethereum side, the DeFi side and the NFT side. So we have a panel tomorrow on the whole loot phenomenon, but the uh, YouTube chat is blowing up wanting your specific take on loot and, and all of that um, like mania. What, do you have a, an opinion as to the whole loot thing or any thoughts on that? So I think loot is actually a really interesting phenomenon that I can only assess in hindsight. I think right now it's just a very interesting idea and I want to see what actually gets built on it. In general with NFTs, my philosophy is I like I don't want to make the mistakes of like the ICO times when like everyone was betting on things for like future promises and loot actually itself doesn't make any promises. It's other people kind of implying that things will be built on it. So I respect that. Um, but I think like everyone always needs to be like mindful of the fact that, Hey, if you're, if you're buying something, hoping that something else is going to be developed, you just want to be cognizant of like, is that going to be developed? Is there an incentive for that development to happen? So I'm very open-minded to loot. I'm interested to see how it plays out, but like most of the NFTs that I have don't do anything. And that's kind of by design, <laughs> but, but there are some exceptions to that. Like my punks comic NFTs, which like, oh, I need to claim like the meta heroes that I have in my collection. So, you know, we just need to see how some of this stuff plays out. Well, DC, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. I don't know how many millions of dollars worth of value in NFTs. We just witnessed that's yeah. an impressive curation, <laughs> impressive portfolio. And uh, kudos to you for recognizing this early, getting in on it, and then uh, taking the time to educate everyone else on it. Really appreciate you and your leadership in this space. Yeah, thank you guys. And I, you know, I always say, by the way, if I get close with this, we don't want, um, don't ever invest anything or buy NFTs, put more money into it than you can afford to lose. Because like everything in crypto, there are booms and busts. And so we just want to be mindful of that. Buy to collect and buy what you love. There you go. Actually, that's a better risks and disclaimer than I had, DC. Maybe we'll just stay on that. <laughs> I guess I have to get through it. Uh, none of this was financial advice, folks. Of course, ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. NFTs are risky as well. You could lose what you put in. Make sure you are buying to curate and collect. And buy what not... you like. <laughs> yeah, buy what you like. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.